Hawks fans, wherever you may be, welcome back for another edition of the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alvstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Hey Seahawks fans, welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alvstead, here with co-host, Keith Myers. Good morning, Keith. Good morning, Bill. How are you? I'm doing pretty darn good. We're getting closer and closer to this draft thing. We can finally put it behind us and have some actual Seahawks players chosen in the draft to talk about, but that's not for another couple of weeks. We're getting there. We're getting close. So, uh, yeah. I will so say, a couple of weeks ago. I, was saying, I will say this is a, um, a rough time for us to be recording because it's too late for another cup of coffee, too early to start drinking a beverage. Um, so I'm stuck being healthy with ice water uh, this time. So... Uh, nice. Yeah, let's not do that again. <laughs> yeah, I'm still I'm still drinking on my one uh, big huge mug of coffee that I started this morning. I just kind of warmed it up a little bit, but I still haven't finished my original pour. So I'm gonna I'm doing that during the show here. Um, a couple weeks ago, Keith, uh, when we had Brandon Schultz on from the Seahawkers uh, pod, uh, we did defensive players that were kind of Seahawky uh, in the draft, and we evaluated uh, several different prospects. In that show, that was a great show. Uh, this week, after our uh, live mock draft uh, at the end of last week, we're going to be uh, doing a Seahawks evaluation on offensive players in the 2020 NFL draft, and we're going to go through uh, position group by position group through this thing. And we're just going to uh, each of us have brought some players into the show we want to talk about. And then uh, we'll just kind of see how it goes and bobs and weaves throughout those prospects. And I've probably got more than Keith does, but he's probably uh, <laughs> lying to me when he said he only has two each position. He's probably got more than that that he could talk about. Oh, so. I've got plenty that I could talk about. I specifically narrowed it down to two, trying to not have this show <laughs> run forever like we tend to do because we both yeah. want to talk about more than just the two we agreed on. It's funny, you know, we've tried it, you know, and we've done this since the very, very beginning. We've tried to narrow this thing down so that we can record in an hour. And uh, I think we've hit that hour mark like three or four shows out of 160 plus shows at this point. <laughs> Everything else has run over. Yep. And I, I, I anticipated this running over so much, Keith, that I blocked out two hours for this Oh, thing. no, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. Um, okay, so the setup is uh, the Seahawks have seven picks in the draft. 127, 259, 264, 3101, 4133, 4144, and 6214. We fully anticipate that will probably change. Uh, Seahawks, in all likelihood, will look at the draft at 127 and go, you know, we've got first-round draft grades on 15 players and the next 45 players are, you know, kind of in the same bucket. We're going to go ahead and drop back, pick up some picks, and uh, have equal value on, on a number of different selections. Um, with that in mind, I mean, you probably see it the same way, I, I assume. We've, we talk about this all the time. Um, with that in mind, and starting in the, in the quarterback class um, at, at offensive players, there's just literally no quarterbacks in play for the Seahawks. Unless a guy like, uh, you know, Tui uh, drops or something like that, which is completely unlikely, 
Um, but it's it's possible that the Seahawks would take a look at Tua if he were to drop to 27 somehow. He got like a weird medical evaluation, and he, the value there was just too ridiculous to pass up or something. Other than that, they might be looking at some late round prospects. That's at least my take. What's what's yours? Well, I agree. They this is. I mean, you got your starter. You got your starter locked into a long term uh, contract. Um, they'll probably go with a veteran backup on something near the minimum, another Geno Smith type. Um, so if they pick a quarterback at all, it'll be like a seventh round flyer, um, maybe a sixth round guy. If there's a guy they really like it down in that range that they think has some stuff, um, that can help them. But yeah, that's about, um, that's about it for the football, uh, or for the quarterback class. Did you have uh, one or two on your list that you wanted to just talk about briefly or not briefly or whatever you want to do? Well, I was thinking, um, you know, talking down in the seventh round, um, Bryce Perkins uh, out of Virginia, 6'3", 215. This is a guy who runs like crazy. He'll His running ability might remind you of um, Lamar Jackson. Uh, what he doesn't do and like Lamar Jackson is throw the ball. Um, he's got a very weird, uh, throwing motion and kind of throws it to an area more than, uh, really having that, that tremendous downfield accuracy that you'll see, uh, Russell Wilson have, but his ability to come in and make people miss and, uh, extend plays and that kind of stuff is something that Seattle's offense is built around because that's what Russell Wilson does. And so if you're looking for a guy that you're like, okay, let's get him in with a real quarterback coach, especially one like uh, Brian Schottenheimer, who is um, a really good quarterback coach, really good at developing quarterback uh, mechanics and that kind of stuff. And having him, you know, look, okay, let's fix the problems with his throwing motion um, because we know the athletes there. And that would be a type of guy that I'd look at. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, the Seahawks, you know, definitely will take a look at guys that are athletes at, the, at that, that end, just prospects they could bring in. Uh, this year, um, the, the interesting thing about the CBA is they did add to the roster. Um, I can't remember exactly how it works, Keith, but I know that they've added a couple of players on the practice squad. So they've gone from 10 to 12, and two of those players can be protected. Um, and I think the the game day roster went from 53 to 55, but I can't confirm that, um, which would mean to me that it would be easier for the team going forward and any team in the NFL to actually carry three quarterbacks on the team. Uh, one of those uh, practice squad players being protected would be a quarterback. I would think that that would make uh, quite a bit of sense uh, for the Seahawks in that they have not yet com- you know, during the Pete Carroll era, anyway, developed a prospect that they've held on to year after year, um, just because they've they've let those practice squad guys go. Guys that have come in have uh, moved on. Um, it seems like we have a different backup every year. Uh, do you see that as being a factor that would that would enhance the development of a of a kind of a third quarterback in their system? I think so. I mean, this is one of those things that's kind of disappeared. Uh, since the Mike Holmgren days, which teams used to carry three quarterbacks, they had the emergency quarterback rule, so you could have 
you know, designate an emergency quarterback. And so if your starter and your backup both went down with injury, you could bring in this third player, which wasn't, you know, I mean, it's great to have them, but when bringing them in actually makes your starter and your backup uh, ineligible to return. So you can't just like throw them out there uh, in random situations. So it was emergency quarterback thing. And that caused teams to carry three quarterbacks. And so there was more quarterback development those days than there are than there is now. When they got rid of that rule, a lot of teams began uh, only carrying two quarterbacks on their uh, on their roster, not just their game day roster, but their overall roster. Um, and if they have a third, they're on the practice squad. And but teams aren't even really looking to do that all the time. So I think what you get when you have a situation where the practice squads are are expanded and you have that protected slot, you can be like, okay, let's go get this developmental guy, someone we. We like them as an athlete. We know they're going to take a year or two of really good coaching to, to make them an NFL caliber player, but let's go invest the time in them. We know we're going to be able to keep them and we can see what we, what we can get out of this player uh, down the road. And I think you look at those kind of situations, that's, um, it leads more to, hey, let's go develop someone rather than you know using that for other positions, less valuable yeah, positions. Yeah, and... and- and with that in mind, I mean, the guy that I've been talking about for, you know, for a few weeks now is Kelly Bryant, um, previously at Clemson, moved on to Missouri uh, for his final year of eligibility in college, 2019. Um, but his backstory is just really intriguing. And I, the more I watched him, Keith, the more it, I think that that could be an ideal situation for him to come into a team, get on the practice squad, be protected and develop for a couple of years. I think this guy would really excel at something like that. The first two years at Clemson. In 15 and 16, he was Deshaun Watson's backup. Mm-hmm. And then in 17, he started all 14 games with a 12-2 and two record, 65% completion, you know, uh, 2,800 yards, 13 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. He also had 192 rushes for 665 yards and 11 touchdowns. Was named the ACC Championship Game MVP. The next year... He was 5-0 and during the 2018 season and then got replaced by Trevor Lawrence. I mean, when does that happen where you've got a guy that's 5-0 and that gets replaced? Now, Trevor Lawrence is on the next level, no question. But nonetheless, this guy was pretty successful at Clemson, 17-2 and overall record. Guy transfers to Missouri, kind of has an okay year because he battled through some knee and hamstring injuries, ended up with a, you know, 2,200 yards, 15 touchdowns. And so he was fairly underwhelming at Missouri. Um, but the guy's got all the tools. You know, he ran a four six nine forty. He can move. He's mobile in the, in the pocket. He can throw on the run. He's got a nice deep ball. He's got some touch underneath. He just needs some time. He needs to develop that confidence. But he's got that toughness that the Seahawks like, the grittiness. He's gone through some adversity. They like that. He's a good leader in the in the. Uh, in the huddle. A guy like that to me is just a really nice developmental project. And it wouldn't surprise me if the Seahawks pull the trigger on a guy like that, especially if they drop back somehow or another, grab a seventh round pick, which they currently do not have a guy like that in the middle of the seventh round would be ideal as a priority free agent or go out and get the guy. If he doesn't make it uh, through the draft and, um, and bring him in, see what he's got. Yeah. He's a guy that I don't think will get drafted because of the fact that, um, you know, the Clemson coaching staff basically decided that they weren't going to be able to continue to keep up with, um, you know, Tua and, and the Alabama team with him. And so they went with this um, really unproven true freshman 
Um, and you know, when you when you get benched for a true freshman, no matter what the the school record is, whatever, because the coaching staff doesn't feel that they can win with you, like win enough with you. Um, that's where you start to run into trouble. Uh, where you know, NFL teams are going to look at the college's uh, assessment of that and and be very leery. Um, the fact that he went to Missouri and then didn't have a great year, I think doesn't help his cause. So I don't think he's going to get drafted, but I do think he's going to be available after the draft. I expect him to get signed by someone. Um, and Seattle would be a good place for him. Because again, uh, when you've got a, a quarterback coach like Brian Schottenheimer, who is I mean, you'll you'll hear me like complain about him as an offensive coordinator, uh, but as a quarterback coach, he is, you know, top shelf. And to get a guy like that in, where you can take some time, develop him, really, you know, fix some of the little flaws in his footwork and that kind of stuff that they have, I think that you can, you know, get more out of a player like that than other teams and college programs were able to. Yeah. I agree. I mean, you know, it isn't unheard of for uh, for prospects to jump ship from big, huge programs like that um, just because they feel like they could start in a college program. But when you're one of the top rated programs in the country, there's not a lot of room for those just second tier players. Um, and so you, you do see some defections there. So I, you don't necessarily blame the player or the coaches for those sorts of moves. I mean, Clemson is been known to do that he wasn't the only player that that kind of jumped ship during that season Mm -hmm. um so i hesitate to blame it completely on him it's just one of those things so um that's all i had for quarterback prospects that's all i had for quarterback prospects too i looked at steve montez and a few other guys that are you know would be there late um with a little bit of upside and i just didn't see it i mean i you know, there's probably a lot of guys under the radar that would go undrafted, and um, I'm, I'd be happy with whatever they evaluate that they think they could develop. Yeah, let's, I mean, let's bring one I of looked those guys at, in. I, I looked at this, and and you're basically looking at guys like um, Khalil Tate out of Arizona or Mason Fine out of North Texas, and you're looking at guys that you know they they're they're lacking in a lot of different ways. Um, and you're just basically thinking, you're okay. Let's take a flyer on someone and see if we can develop them. But they don't even have that that thing uh, that you can latch onto and say, okay, we have this aspect of their game. We just need to develop the other one. Now you're talking about, okay, we just need to develop everything. And I think that it's just not a great quarterback class in this range. Like the, we, you know, there in the past, there's always been you know a few of those players who are like, hey, this person's really interesting. You know, given the right opportunity, he could prove himself. Um, and you know, like uh, Gardner Mishu, uh in Jacksonville was one of those guys last year, and uh, he got his chance, and you know, was able to prove himself a little bit. And and uh, I just don't see a lot of guys like that this year. Uh, so yeah, um, maybe it's just me, and other people will disagree. But for me, I just don't see it. Okay. So running back wise, mm-hmm. uh, Seattle currently has Carson uh, coming off that hip. Uh, Penny coming mm-hmm. off an ACL doesn't look like Penny is going to be ready at the start of the year. So we're going to have to hedge that homers there. 
Adam, a guy by the name of Adam Choice, an undrafted rookie free agent, uh, is sitting on the roster currently, signed as a futures contract in January. But he was there at the end of uh, last year on the practice squad. So that's it. I mean, if you really, if we're really being honest with that group, uh, Carson and Penny are awesome. Homer's there as a third down back. I think you earned the right to kind of continue to do that. Uh, but we're going to have to kind of hedge on Penny. And that means we need somebody in the draft or a uh, kind of a veteran minimum guy to come in. We haven't done that yet, the veteran minimum thing. So they may take a look at the draft and get a guy that could come in and also hedge Carson's contract for next year. So uh, they would probably want a guy, to me, that would be able to run uh, between the tackles, kind of a th- all three downs kind of back, uh, kind of a feature back of the future. Um, and so that's that's kind of the way I look at it, Keith. And so I had a few guys that I was looking at, um, the, the big guy in the draft that I think that everybody looks at as being kind of a Seahawk guy, a guy that would really fit, um, would be Jonathan Taylor. It's likely that he goes in the first round, um, possibly dropping slightly into the top of the second round. Um, he could be there at 127, or he could be there at, you know, the, the early picks in the second round. If the Seahawks were going to expend that sort of draft capital, um, would really surprise me, but it's possible because he's such a good kind of, uh, physical, uh, and mental profile for them. Jonathan Taylor at 5'10", 226, ran a 4'39", uh, 40, which would excite anybody at that size. Uh, he's very explosive, had a 36-inch vertical with a 7'01", 3-cone, but he does uh, put the ball on the turf uh, quite a bit, 15 fumbles, and he's been used quite a bit in over 900 carries. Um, the interesting thing about him for me, Keith, would be that even though he's got 900 carries at the college level, they were all really successful, A. And B, he's not coming in to be the starting tailback in Seattle system right away. Um, so, And if he did come in regardless, he would be a kind of a tandem uh, back in Seattle system as opposed to fully featured 100% all the time. Uh, he's going to share carries. So... And in today's NFL, when you're not paying like on a second contract, you really only have to get the guy and have him be successful for four years in your program. And that would be a win uh, as a draft pick. So that's Jonathan Taylor. What do you think? If you're not going to pay them on a second contract, I wouldn't spend an early round pick on them. I mean, if you're spending that high of a a draft pick on someone, you're expecting, you know, eight years as a minimum. Um, And... The his work. Are we expecting in, eight years out of Penny? You'd think uh, that that was the original idea, is that he would play his first contract, play through a second contract, and then that would probably be it. Um, would you do that with Carson, even though Carson was a seventh round guy? Would you pay Carson a second contract because he's one of the top performers in the NFL? I mean, that logic to me just doesn't quite mesh up with the reality of running backs right now. Well, that's what I'm saying, though, is if you are if you're going to spend a high draft pick, you don't pick a running back. You pick a player like an offensive lineman or an, a pass rusher, someone who's going to have a um, 
have longevity on your team and be a fixture that can be there uh, not just for the first four years, but for, you know, the four years after that. Um, and I just don't see that with a running back. Um, I, so, I agree, Keith. And so I'm not, I'm not big into using a lot of draft capital on running backs when you can find Chris Carson's in round seven. Um, and no, there's no guarantee with that, but it, there's no it guarantee does make with a first round runner either. Um, As we've seen. Yes. So, I mean, we have, there's a lot to think about there. Um, Taylor's probably the best running back in this class. Doesn't offer that much in the passing game, but as far as being just a workhorse run, running back and guy that can pick up um, a blitz here and there and, and just kind of carry an offense, I think he's the best. Um, some people will say uh, DeAndre Swift out of Georgia. I don't necessarily disagree. I mean, that's a, a player I just... I think Taylor is a better player. Uh, and so, but he's a better player. He just has more mileage on him. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where I would, if the CX were going to go get a top tier running back and they're going to, they've made the decision that it's okay to spend, um, a lot of draft capital on one. You could do far worse than drafting Jonathan Taylor. I agree with, with your philosophy. I just, I wanted to bring him up only because it's a weird option for Seattle. Um, and I, it, it could play out, um, especially if he were to drop, if he were to go into the middle of the second round and they had traded back and he's sitting there and he's the best value on their board, they may take him um, because he does f- fit uh, so well in their system. But there are other backs in this draft and other values that they could get um, all throughout the draft, actually. Um, mm-hmm. There's definitely some value there sitting there that would be there in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. Keith, name me a couple of backs you've got uh, that you brought to the table today that might f- better fit there. Well, the one that I want to talk about, because I think that the Seahawks value the running back position more than the rest of us, because they spent a first round pick on Penny. Um, and most people are like, ah, oh, don't do that. Um, so I think that they're going to go sooner than I think most of us would like. And I, um, even the player that you and I picked up in our, um, mock draft was one that I, I thought we should talk about here. And that would be Cam Akers out of Florida state, uh, 510, 217 finishes runs, you know, with a lot of power at the end of them. Uh, very smooth in his, uh, change of directions and his juking ability, um, has big play speed, very thick legs, good balance. Uh, isn't aren't you can't arm tackle him. Uh, the only real rub on him is that he tends to, um, you know, if if there if the hole is going to gain him, give him a, a two or a three yard gain instead of hitting it, he'll bounce things sometimes uh, too too often and and look for that big play when it's not there. Um, but you know that was the rub on Sean Alexander and. Uh, that seemed to work out well for the Seahawks. But uh, Akers is a guy that I think is going to be there uh, probably the top of the third, um, and you're going to be able to get a player that you can depend on in much the same way that you and I were talking about uh, Jonathan Taylor, but instead of spending a late first-round pick, you're talking about an early third-round pick to get a what I consider a fairly similar player, not quite yeah. as big, um, maybe not quite as powerful uh, as for the running, but has more tread left on the tires because he didn't have quite the the workload that Taylor did. So uh, yeah. to me, that would be a better <laughs> pick 
is the the you know looking at the quality of player versus draft draft capital that you're giving up. To me, a Cam Akers pick in the early round three would be a significantly better than pick than Jonathan Taylor at the end of round one. I agree. I mean, that's a better value pocket for the Seahawks. You know, um, remember the uh, the jump cut that Mike Davis used to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Davis used to have this jump cut at the line of scrimmage that was just second to none. I mean, he was just flat out a badass when it came to just uh, elusiveness and in, in the short space. Um, but then he didn't have the acceleration around the edge to take advantage of it. Uh, this guy has got Mike Davis's jump cut and the acceleration to get out to the outside edge and and break away. So uh, he can create some breakaway runs for you. It's not uh, so he's not Chris Carson in that respect. Uh, he's not going to be as tough and gritty inside between the tackles as Chris Carson, but he's going to give you more um, elusiveness. He's going to give you some burst. He's going to catch the ball out of the backfield pretty well. Um, I like him. I mean, at that spot in the draft, I think he would be a good. He kind of reminds you of uh, C.J. Proseis in the in his burst and breakaway ability. Um, combine that with a little bit more um, toughness in between the tackles, and he's a mm-hmm. good he's a good pick. I like that pick. Um, another guy. I mean, there's a bunch of guys, uh, and I I probably wrote down too many just because I couldn't stop myself. <laughs> Because I do feel like they're going to take a running back in this draft. It just it's setting up that way. Um, AJ Dillon is another guy. He's just that force. He he looks like a sea hot guy. He's a guy that's just he going was to a guy, barrel you over. He was a guy that he was going to be my second player that I was going to talk about. But I'm like, I will bet. I would bet good money that. Uh, Bill's going to bring this guy up. So I didn't yeah. include him, but I have all the notes ready to go yeah. because he was going to be my second guy. <laughs> well, I tell you what, you almost have to talk about him because he fits the profile so well. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he might have that serious weight on him at 250 pound, a 250 pound running back, but he ran a four four eight forty. So mm-hmm. the guy is like almost six feet tall. Um, 250 pounds and ran a 448.40. So that's like freakish right there. Um, and that's why you almost need to talk about him because, uh, and you combine that with the physical nature of the way that he runs, um, he's not going to, he has a, he, he builds up to that speed. So he mm-hmm. doesn't have that quick, like burst twitchiness about him. He's a, but if he gets open in the open field, watch out because he'll plow you over and he'll keep going and break away from you. Well, um, do you remember we we spent the last couple of years kind of talking about Bo Scarborough, who hung around on the practice squad and and um, and mm-hmm. you know got a chance and then eventually actually got um, some playing time uh, for the Lions at the end of the year when they had some injuries. Um, and he is a lot like that in that he's big and he doesn't accelerate quite in the same way that you would expect uh, um, most NFL running backs to get up to speed really quickly, but he's, he isn't the same and that he doesn't require a super long runway. He requires an extra step more than, uh, you know, Chris Carson. Um, whereas Barber, and, and he'll break Scarborough the tackles too, but yeah, yeah, but he, he runs people over. And if he gets free, if he gets to the second level, um, he has that straight line speed to take it. Um, whereas a lot of big power running backs, Chris Carson's actually like this too, where he, he'll come up and he'll do great in between the tackles and at the second level. And he, he runs with such great vision and power, but if he does get free, he he'll get caught from behind. Uh, he won't, he won't turn a 
a 10 yard gain into a 30 yard gain. Um, and you know, that that's like, but that's not who he is. Um, whereas Dylan can, he can do that because he's got that extra, he's got that extra gear. So I, I would not anticipate the Seahawks using one of their late second round picks on a guy like this. This would be a guy that if he's sitting there with one of their later fourth round picks, Mm -hmm. that would be a guy that I think that they would consider there at that spot. Or if they move back and he was still available in the fifth, that sort of a thing. A couple other running backs uh, later on. And and of course you probably have another one on your list as well. Michael Warren, um, the second I thought was very intriguing to me. It fits all of the different uh, physical uh, attributes and athletic attributes that the Seahawks gravitate towards. Little on the short slide at, at almost 5'10", but 222 pounds, runs downhill. He's got that vision. He likes to initiate contact, breaks tackles, gives you a little something uh, out of the receiving out of the backfield. He could definitely fill that hole as a second running back, taking six to eight carries per game that Penny would normally get and and fill that hole nicely while kind of grooming, in a sense, uh, to hedge against Carson. If Carson were to leave on that second contract that Seahawks couldn't stomach uh, paying, uh, Michael Warren would, would come in and be that feature back in year two. Yeah, I, I like that one. Um, another player that I, I considered, um, you know, highlighting here just because his size at, at 226 and his uh, elusiveness, I think, is a, is a great little combination. Um, so I went in a, in a kind of a different direction uh, with my other second player, um, and that was to look at um, uh, Raymond uh, Kalis out of Louisiana, a uh, very undersized player at 5'8", 188. Um, he reminds me a lot of, uh, I can't remember his name now, the, the guy that basically hung around as a kick returner and, and stuff for the Seahawks forever um, until last year. Um, and they used him at wide receiver a lot. I can't believe his name just skipped just Sorry. off my head. Oh well. Um, but this is kind of what we're doing. he's he's fast. He's very fast and very quick. Um, and even at his size of one eighty eight, he's not afraid of contact. Um, very good outside. You know the tackles if they want to. You know to attack the the edges a little bit more. Um, but also has good vision and can get through traffic. Um, you'd think with a guy that size, because usually your undersized running backs tend to be pass catchers. They tend to be. Um, Are you talking about McKissick? By any chance? No, I'm not. Um, okay. Okay, never mind. I probably just even ruined it even further for him by going in the wrong direction. Wait, JD McKissick? Actually, yes, yes, JD. I was like, I'm in my head. I'm like, there's initials. There's an, yes, I was thinking of JD McKissick. Um, very similar player, okay. athletically, size wise. Um, the difference is, is that at Louisiana, they didn't throw the ball to him. Um, and so even though he has all the skills and or all the talent, all the athleticism, everything that you'd look for in a J.D. McKissick type player, there's no tape on him catching passes out of the backfield to know if that's something that he can do. Um, and so that makes life a little more difficult uh, as far as the um, evaluation. But I, you're, you're talking about a guy because he's undersized and because there's not a lot of tape on him, you look at him as... 
a guy in the seventh round or six, you know, maybe the late end of the sixth, maybe an undrafted free agent, depending on, on how the draft falls. But you're talking about a late round guy that you can get a lot of mileage out of, um, hedge against Homer as a third down back and, um, you know, possibly get some use out of as a receiver or a kick returner or, um, some things other than, you know, just being the pure running back. Okay, I've got a name for you that's in that same mold, only bigger and possibly faster. Okay. Um, Antonio Gibson. Um, to me, I thought that he comped directly to C.J. Procise. And we know for a fact that they liked C.J. Procise on the roster. He was just not healthy enough to give them everything that he could need. Also can kick return. In um, Memphis's system, he uh, ran out of the slot quite a bit as a receiver. Um, so he was kind of a wide receiver prospect for them. Um, he's got a four, three, nine 40 with a 35 inch vertical at six foot and one half inch, 223 pounds. Hmm. Um, he's, so he's got this like big playability. He's got the speed. He's big enough to run through the tackles, but he doesn't have a lot of carries from the running back position in college. So that would be something that he would need to work on. But right now, he's a ready-made receiver in the NFL. It so much reminds me of C.J. Procise. C.J. Procise came out of Notre Dame being a better wide receiver, a better receiver uh, than he was a running back. And this is kind of that same mold. This is kind of a, a toolbox guy, a guy you could bring in, run some sweeps on, some end-arounds, get him into the slot, um, have him receive out of the backfield on dump-offs, uh, guy could also be a, a kick return uh, guy for you as well. So there's a lot of value there. If you could get this guy in that sixth round pick that we looked at, or even the you know if we trade uh, uh, back from out of the fourth and maybe pick up a fifth round pick, this would be a guy that I would certainly mind uh, not mind uh, having on the team. Yeah, right. uh, that's that's a great one. Um, and he to me, I, I think he is on my. Uh, board as a wide receiver player, not as a running back. Mm-hmm. Um, like I don't even have him as a running back, and so I, I didn't even consider mm-hmm. him. But you know what? He does. He does. Uh, he is very similar to uh, CJ Procise in that way. Well, Procise only had one year as a running back at Notre Dame. He was yeah. a he was a wide receiver who they moved to running back because they needed a body, and then he excelled there. And then the Seahawks drafted him, thinking, "Hey, we've got a." A running back who can also be a receiver. They can move him all over the place. He can be a third down back. Um, they really thought they were getting someone special. I totally agree. And then he just never could be healthy for more than a game or so. Um, and that was yeah. really unfortunate. And so being able to take a guy like uh, Gibson and you know getting him near, back the, back into the draft and then having that weapon that you can move around, um, that's a great one. I like that. Another guy, too, just a, a late guy, like a sixth, seventh round guy or priority free agent is Tavian Feaster. Um, he was kind of a combine snub, didn't in, get in, invited to the combine, but ran a 4.4940 and a, uh, he ran a 4.4140 hand timed on a, on a stopwatch. Um, just a guy, you know, that's uh, 5'11, 221, um, South Carolina uh, prospect. Power balance gives you a little bit of returnability, you know, et cetera. Um, 
wide receivers, Keith, why don't you go? I've kind of dominated this thing as far as introducing <laughs> my guys at first here. Why don't you give us a couple of picks? Well, the thing with wide receiver is it's very difficult to figure out what the Seahawks are going to do at the position because they have their uh, their top two. They have their starters, um, and they're a very good combination of starters in Lockett and Metcalf. Um, and then they've got some other guys that they like. Uh, so it's okay, what do you do? There, do you go in and um, use a relatively high pick? Now, obviously, not like a first round pick, but um, or do you just wait and wait and wait and try and get somebody later? Um, and uh, you know, it, it 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 was really hard to kind of figure out where they go. So I was looking at what's the top end. Where where is the the earliest that I would expect them to go get a guy? And to me. Um, that would be the end around three, beginning around four. And I went with uh, Antonio Gandy Golden out of Liberty. He's 6'4, 223. Um, but he's got that, you know, I mean, he's tall and he's a great red zone target, uh, very natural at, at uh, receiving the ball out, way up over his head, gets up uh, for the ball very well. Um, he has good, he's good and physical at the line of scrimmage, so he's not going to be a guy that's going to get jammed and stopped. Um, so he'll be able to do stuff. And he has those hands where, you know, he'll be in traffic and be getting hit and still bring the ball down. Um, and uh, so I, I like that uh, in him. What he's not going to do is get you yards after the catch. Once he makes the catch, he's going to go down. Um, he's not like a guy that's going to, uh, I mean, he can get deep because his speed, once he gets up to speed, he's got decent speed, but he doesn't have that like super quickness, um, where he accelerates very quickly. So he's not, um, he's not going to be where you're going to use him in other ways. He's going to be either getting deep or he's going to be doing, uh, crossing routes over the middle and that kind of stuff. Um, and to me, you know, I mean, this is a guy that had, uh, almost 1400 yards, uh, last year. And if you can get mm-hmm. a big play six, four guy, um, you know, in the end around three, beginning around four, I think that would be someone you'd look at. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and you mentioned the production, um, his production in 17 and 18 were, were just as good in 17. He had 71 receptions for, um, 1037 yards, 10 TDs. Eight in eighteen, he had sixty-nine uh, receptions for a thousand sixty-six yards and ten TDs. Nineteen seventy-nine receptions, thirteen hundred ninety-six yards, ten TDs. I mean, thirty TDs in three years in college—that's some production right there. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about him, uh, you mentioned the red zone ability. That's where he's at. So he's like the jump ball guy, uh, the David Moore guy on the on the offense. Only David Moore is only six one. This guy's six four. Uh, 223 pounds. He's a fighter. He fights for balls, contested catch guy. Uh, when he does make the catch, you mentioned the lack of elusiveness. He makes that up with the physicality. So he, he's hard to bring down, uh, just from a physical standpoint. So he'll carry defenders a little bit before he's, he's brought to to the ground. I like the pick. I've profiled him before, not only, um, you know, on, on our shows, looking at him early on in the process, but, uh, as a guest on a couple of shows, I've I've mentioned him as a guy that, that could be potentially kind of that David Moore thing. They've mm-hmm. talked about David Moore. They've had him on the roster. They extended him in a, a restricted free agent offer uh, for this season. But I don't know that they're, they're continually enamored with him. I think they would really like some production out of that kind of fourth wide receiver uh, on the roster, a guy that could go down 
with a limited route tree, but still provide some value in the red zone. And Antonio Gandy Golden would be that guy. You know, it was weird when I was watching uh, tape on him, the guy he reminded me of was Anquan Bolden, uh, the hmm. Cardinal slash 49er slash right. Raven, right. who just everyone kept saying he's too slow. He's just like a big tight mm-hmm. end. He's not whatever. And no, he's all a re- he, great possession receiver. All he did was produce every single year, regardless of his the system, the quarterback, it just didn't matter. He was just a big play guy, uh, or not big play, but a big per, um, production guy. And he mm-hmm. just kind of reminds me of that. Just not a huge, um, doesn't have a lot of speed, you know, for uh, a wide receiver, but just his ability to use his body to shield off defenders, to um, catch find the ball seams. through contact, yeah, to be smart and find openings. He just looked like that kind of guy. And I, any team could use a player like that. I agree. I totally agree. Who else do you got? Um, so after that, so I was, I was looking, I'm like, okay, you've got, uh, we've got him. And I, I was like, okay, so that's, that's the earliest that I could see them taking a wide receiver. And then I'm like, let's go down. Let's keep going. Let's go down, uh, at low and see what we can come up with late. Um, that would be a, a similar type of player. Um, and I will, I ended up uh, looking at Kendrick Rogers from Texas A&M, another guy who's 6'4". He's 208, uh, but he's just a big body, athletic, kind of has that DK Metcalf muscular look, Um, very strong after the catch, just won't go down, Um, and he's got, you know, those really long arms, large, um, you know, huge catch radius to go over there. what he needs to work on, and the reason why I think he's going to be available late is his routes aren't great because physical cornerbacks can tend to like bump him and, and get him to where he has to take that extra step in his cut and that kind of stuff so he doesn't create separation as well. But at 6'4", you know, you're looking at a red zone threat. You're looking at a guy that can uh, go up and get the ball. And he's uh, not slow. No. You know, he's runs a, a four five one forty. I mean, that's right out the uh, uh, on the edge of what the Seahawks look for. They look for guys that you know in the four uh, fours. Um, and uh, to me, though, in a late round flyer, a guy like that at that size, mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna take a look at a guy like that for sure. Yeah, and this is a guy that's gonna be down uh, in like the sixth or seventh round. Um, like just down the draft quite a bit. And so it's kind of like, for me, it was like, okay, how can we find someone that's similar to the, um, to Gandy Golden that I, uh, mentioned earlier as like a third round guy, but now can you get a similar type player, uh, later in the draft? And so we were talking, you know, we, we, we were talking about the David Moore role and that kind of stuff. Um, David Moore was a seventh round pick. And, um, you know, Kendrick Rogers, I think could be a seventh round pick. He could be the, the next David Moore, um, just completely right into that same that same uh, level of draft capital to the same role, and uh, just slide them in and and have them go it's do their funny. thing. You and I were kind of thinking the exact same way. I'm just not sure where Brian uh, Edwards will go in this draft, but he's the same sort of prospect um, at six two and a half, two hundred and fifteen pounds. The size, toughness, body control, possession, wide receiver, um, 
the the thing about uh, Edwards, I don't have a 40 time for him. And the reason for that is he broke his foot while he was training for the combine. Mm-hmm. Um, so all we have is really is, is tape to look at. Um, but he's totally the prototypical number four wide receiver, a guy that you would play out of the slot, a possession wide receiver guy, a guy that could stretch the, the field a little bit down the seams and high point the ball and uh, be a red zone kind of a guy. Um, I like this guy as a prospect. It, I just don't know exactly what he is until he gets into the camp. And so I wouldn't spend any more than like a sixth round pick on him. I had a few others too, but um, I, I looked up that, uh, the guy that we did in our mock draft, Keith, uh, mm-hmm. the Juwan Jennings, uh, yeah. ran a four seven two forty. So I didn't, I didn't go any further. Yeah. Um, I just we, thought that was too, too slow for the Seahawks to consider. Yeah. When we were, we were doing that, I mean, we were, we were trying to like do this on the, um, on the fly, doing it live. Um, and you know, it was like, okay, well he's got average, you know, speed, blah, blah, blah. But it turns out no, he's a guy that, that is probably not going to make it in the NFL because of that lack of speed where, right. and then when you, when you start looking at, um, a guy like, you know, Gandy Golden, or there's other guys, um, Isaiah Hodgins from uh, Oregon State. Uh, these are guys that don't have that slow speed, but still have the big, um, you know, the, the big body, the 6'4 type of player. And I think they're probably yes. a, a better a better. Yeah, because the guy that runs 472 at that size and so forth, he, he's not even going to be a special teams guy for you. So you, you, you've just got to just kind of write that off the board. It w- I just think it would not be on Seattle's board just, mm-hmm. just for that. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, so uh, wide receiver is interesting. So we had Lockett and Medcalf, Dorset there, what we picked up as kind of that third wide receiver profile. They could still add to that in the draft, that third spot. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you had mentioned the fact that the earliest that you think the Seahawks would consider a wide receiver might be the back end of the third round, possibly into the fourth. And I disagree with that just a little bit, only because um, Lockett would be coming up on a contract in a couple of years. Dorsett's there on a one-year contract. Um, they're not sure what they've gotten more yet, even after three years. Uh, Malik Turner's there, but he's never really caught on as far as being a, a clutch game day guy. He's, he's he catches one ball for you a game. Um, Ursa was totally unproven there as a slot guy, um, and he's getting older as well. I think he's a 26 year old prospect this year in this season. So to me, it is possible that the Seahawks take a look at that position with their first or second pick in the draft. Um, considering, you know, when you take a look at like first round values and early second round values, Keith, you look at the playmaker position as, as being, um, something that you would look at, at, at drafting high. Um, so you could, you, the defensive end position, uh, group, the offensive tackles, the, um, quarterback position, the wide receivers, all of those position groups to me are positions you would take high in a draft if it was the right prospect at the right time and so forth. And they proved that last year with DK Medcalf in the second round. DK could have gone even earlier and mm-hmm. still would have been a perfect pick. <clears throat> so t- I don't necessarily rule that out. Well, I just don't know who they would be targeting at that spot. I, see, my thing is, like when they took Metcalf, they knew 
that they had a problem at wide receiver, that they needed a guy and they needed a wide receiver. They needed someone who could uh, con- contribute as a rookie and they still waited till the very last pick of round two. This year, they don't necessarily need that because they've got their top two guys. They've really got their top four guys, if you want to include Dorsett and Moore. Um, and so you can take a player that you think can become one of those top two guys in a year or two. Um, but can you? Can, they can develop a little bit. And that's why I think that, uh, and especially in a year where there's a really, really deep wide receiver class, where there's just a lot of really nice talent here, mm-hmm. that you, you, you wait. You wait until the round three. You wait until round four. And you get a guy that maybe isn't ready to be your starter and your, your go-to guy week one. Um, but he will get there during his rookie season, maybe near the end, um, and you know contribute more as the year goes on, or, and then you know become a, a a fixture of the offense in year two because you have the luxury of waiting because of what's already on your roster, and that's why I don't think they go early. It's interesting, Keith. So so far we've gone through quarterbacks, running backs, and wide receivers, and there's no prospects that you'd be willing to target early in the draft. Um, and, and here we come up on tight ends and I probably, you're going to probably include that into the same bucket as well. Will we on offense today in this show reach a position group that you might be able to go up high and get, or are we seriously focusing on defense this year? Um, we are going to seriously focus on defense, but there are, uh, players that I would target in the first round. Uh, coming up and they're not at tight end which is where we're going next (laughs) okay so uh tight end keith uh who do you have on your list that you'd like to talk about first and where Um, would they where do you see them going in the draft okay um the there's not a lot of tight ends this year there's just not this like long list of of uh players and so i'm looking at all of this and i'm like I think you're going to have to probably take one earlier than you would normally um, in order to get a good player. I mean, the Seahawks were able to get Disley in round four. Uh, that's probably the range where you're looking. Maybe you have to go in round three if you want to, um, someone in that same level. Um, but I was looking at a guy like Bryson Hopkins out of Purdue, 6'4", 245, so he's not huge. Um but he's got uh he's just smooth athletically he runs well gets open um you know has a lot of production um you know 830 yards uh, and seven touchdowns last year um and is just a a nice natural uh receiver out of the backfield or sorry out of off the line um as a blocker, he's not great. Um, he's going to remind you a little bit of Hollister in that uh, respect, but he's got the ability to, uh, you know, to learn and and get better in that regard. Um, and I can see basically him being a nice upgrade from the Hollister uh, roster spot. And I think you're mm-hmm. going to be able to get him late round two, early round three. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I did not expect that from you. You know, everyone wants to to kind of hedge this Hollister thing and, and upgrade, but holy cow, Hollister was productive for the Seahawks. He 46 was. catches in eight in in ten games or whatever it was, or eight games. I mean, that's kind of crazy production from that position that the Seahawks really haven't had before Hollister. I mean, if you really take a look at like that H back receiving kind of tight end that. Uh, it, 
I just can't, don't remember. I mean, you could say that, uh, whatchamacallit, um, Jimmy Graham was that guy. Um, but Hollister's given you just as much production as we got out of Jimmy Graham. So I don't know if I, and, and based on the fact that the Seahawks put a second round tender on him and paid him three and a half million dollars this year, I just think that they like Hollister and he's going to be the guy. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I like Hollister. I think he's going to be the guy, but I'm just uh, looking at tight ends and looking at um, trying to get Russell Wilson some weapons more than just, you know, blockers. And um, if, they, if they're if they concerned about the fact that uh, Disley's now had two major injuries in in both of his years, um, early in both of his, his professional years, um, they may be willing to go out and, and go get another tight end. And, um, of the kind of weak tight end class, uh, Hopkins was kind of the first one that I saw as being really interesting. I mean, at first glance, when you take a look at the Seahawks existing roster at tight end, you think the problem is basically solved. Disley, Olson, Hollister, Wilson. Mm-hmm. And then they've got Justin Johnson as a futures contract. Um, so the, the need there immediately is not really there. But what do you have in Disley? He's only played a maximum of five or six games in one season. Um, injured in both seasons, he's been in the NFL. Tremendous upside, no question about it. But can you count on him to be there? They got Olsen for that reason. Um as as a veteran guy that can come in and kind of hold down the fort for a year on a he's manageable a, contract. He's a thirty five year old former All Pro um, who is no longer that player that he used to be. Yes, and right. Um, you know, he's coming in to be leadership, to be steady, to be a dependable guy. Um, but he's not a you know change your offense because he's. You know, that good. Well, they paid him enough to be on the team this year. I mean, they guaranteed five and a half million dollars. So he's going to be on the roster. And Disley. So, so let's ask, let me ask you this. So if Disley comes back and he's ready, quote unquote, and Olsen is there and Hollister's there, that's, that's the tight end group. Wilson's going to end up getting cut. If they draft anybody, it's going to be, they're either going to have to beat out Hollister or Olsen or Disley's going to get hurt. Am I reading that correct, Keith? Um, you are, I would say you're reading that correctly. Um, so that doesn't offer a lot of hope for an early tight end in the draft to me. So I like your prospect. All of that depends on Disley being healthy. Does the team think that, that Disley is healthy enough at this point, uh, going into training camp and, um, do they believe he can stay healthy? Because if they don't, then he is a wild card and not in the actual plan, and they're drafting mm-hmm. someone who would, who, would, who would actually be in the plan. This presents an interesting scenario for me because this could be one of those positions that they protect off the practice squad so you can keep an extra guy at that position in case Disley doesn't make it past four or five games. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. It's it's interesting conundrum because there's some good prospects in this draft. It's just where do you pick up a guy – that you could essentially cut um, because you're not going to cut Olsen. Disley's got way too much upside to cut. Hollister's there's proven commodity that you're going to keep. Wilson's, I think, the, the odd man out in that scenario. If we draft anybody, 
I don't know. I mean, who would you who would you replace? I looked at a, a few guys. Adam Trotman's interesting, but he ran a four eight forty, same as Disley. Um, I would imagine Olson's probably at that speed now. But it gives you some upside as a prospect that can be an inline guy and give you some upside. Uh, yeah, he's receiving. a much, he much better blocker than the other people that we've talked about. Right, but he's going to go go in the second round. You know, um, a guy like Devin uh, Asiasi I've talked about before mm-hmm. um, is an interesting prospect out of UCLA. Kind of gives you more in the pass catching game right now as uh, than an inline blocker. He's a little uh, on the small side at six uh, three. Uh, um, but he is at 260 pounds. Um, the, the guy I'm really intrigued with in this draft is Albert O. I knew you were going to bring him up. I, I just can't help it. I can't help myself, Keith. Every time I watch him on tape, he's like, oh my God, that guy is just a beast. He's a so physical guy. Scene. And he just is like this pass-catching guy in the draft that I just am enamored with. He looks like a Seahawk guy because uh, he runs over people and he's not intimidated and he shoves... Um, defenders out of the way with stiff arms and stuff. He just is a sea hockey guy. 6'4", 255, um, but he ran a 4'4", 940 as a tight end. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't I can't get away from that key stat right there. 4'4", 940 at 6'5", 260. That, check yeah. this out, Keith. 4'4", <laughs> at 6'5", 260. He could be Seattle's next edge defender at that size and speed. <laughs> <laughs> I kid um, you not. Here's right? the thing. Here's the thing that um, that when I was looking at that, I'm like, when I was looking through, one, he doesn't block as well as a guy for his size. He doesn't, you know, he's a guy that should be better um, in line than he is, and really just doesn't understand leverage uh, quite the way he should. Um, and then the other thing is, you look at his overall production. 26 catches, 306 yards. That's not a lot of production. And you know who he was catching balls from? Kelly Bryant. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know, it just depends on the offense. The offense just wasn't conducive to him there. I see that. I I was just, so I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think he's a fantastic prospect. Um, And I would be very interested to see, um, him in a Seahawk uniform. Uh, I would too. Just, just from the aspect of the physicality and that speed at that mm-hmm. size. It's just crazy. So if we go even lower on the draft board, um, a guy that I don't think enough people are talking about is Colby Parkinson out of Stanford. This guy is 6'7", 252, um, and is just great at catching the ball over his head and all of those things. Very sure hands, just huge catch radius. Um, not the fastest guy uh, by any means, but um, is just a big guy, finds seams well, finds holes in zones, uh, very sure hand uh, catcher. And at 6'7", you're talking about a guy that can win contested catches, in especially in the red zone, uh, and, and be a guy that can really... Um, add to your to your offense yeah i agree and i love stanford prospects especially guys that have uh you you know you've mentioned everyone that comes out of stanford on the offensive line is typically already fully formed as a prospect because Mm -hmm. they're so well coached and he is part of that 
um, as an inline blocker. He gets that same sort of knowledge and coaching. Um, and uh, while running a four seven seven at six seven two fifty two um, is is really decent. And a seven one five three cone puts him right in the area where the Seahawks like to uh, take a look. And again, that Stanford uh, pedigree. I just think that that would be a great. Uh, situation for him but um he's a he's a receiver first and foremost mm-hmm. um as a, as a prospect and it would be interesting to see how they see a guy like that that could definitely be a mismatch um you can create mismatches from uh for him by moving him around at the line of scrimmage or um having him be a red zone target uh, because he can beat any linebacker any safety any corner at that size in jump balls and stuff. And Russell Wilson is excellent at throwing those sorts of passes. So yeah, a guy like that is always a prospect to watch. He's, I mean, he's seven. Um, and he, he'd be the biggest guy on the football field. Really? He, he runs like a wide receiver. He doesn't have the, the straight line speed of your typical wide receiver at a four, seven, seven forty, but he runs like a wide receiver. He makes cuts like a wide receiver. Um, that seven, one, five, three cone is something that you would see out of really good wide receivers, not out of big tight ends. Um, this is a guy that can get open, catches the ball. Well, uh, and you're, he's a big receiver. He needs to learn how to block better. Um, which for him, a lot of it is when you're six seven, getting underneath someone's pads is more difficult. Um, and but I think with some good coaching, he can can learn to keep his uh, pads lower and and not lose leverage quite so easily, um, and they can get more out of him. But um, so when I when I played football, Keith, I was uh, six one two twenty. I was six one two twenty five, and I ran a four seven forty. Just to give you an example of just how extreme that athleticism is, it's just it's just crazy that a guy can run like that and be that big, like the Albert O thing at four the four four nine at six five two fifty five or whatever. It's just it's crazy how they build these prospects now. The the moms and dads out there, whatever's happening, you know, it's it's not it's nuts. It's just nuts. Okay. So uh, tight ends, we've kind of put that to bed. Let's go to the offensive line. This is where all the fun begins for Keith. This is where I think (laughs) that he was talking about earlier where maybe he's got a prospect or two that could reach into being justified as Seattle's first pick off the board this year. Everyone's thinking defense, 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 you know, defensive end, defensive tackle, edge rusher. Uh, that's all we're really thinking that would be available to Seattle as a choice in if they stay at 127 or if they drop back a little bit. Are there other options on the board? Let's find out. Keith, well, I think I think that this is a great um, position. If you're looking for a player for the Seahawks to take, you know, the end of round one, beginning of round two, um, that isn't a, an edge rusher. Uh, offensive tackle is probably somewhere that you can look uh, because. They don't, I mean, they have a shell at right tackle currently. Um, he's here for one year to be a, you know, kind of a bridge from a Fetty to whoever's next. And you've also got a 35-year-old Dwayne Brown on the on the left tackle side who mm-hmm. is, who struggled last year. He had uh, dealt with a bunch of injuries, so he wasn't really himself, but he's 35. And um, you have to start planning for, you know, when he decides to move on. 
uh, because you can't go into a season, you know, without, you know, the help there. Uh, and I think that you're in a situation where choosing at the end of round one or the beginning of round two, you find a guy who can play at right tackle for a year or two and then moved to left tackle, um, basically be lined up to be your left tackle of the future um, for whenever Dwayne Brown uh, calls it a career. And I think you're in a situation where the team needs that and there's good prospects sitting there um, that will be in that range and they're going to kind of get a chance to take their pick of all of them. Um, We mentioned... uh, Isaiah Wilson out of Georgia on our mock draft show. Um, so I'm going to actually skip that one because I think we talked about him in pretty good uh, detail with great size, length, seat, speed, uh, footwork, all those Did things. Did you say Austin, you Austin Jackson you were skipping? No, I said Isaiah Wilson. Isaiah Wilson, um, okay. Because he was the guy we drafted. Um, and it's, but the player I was going to come back to would be Austin Jackson, who I think – it, there's this general thought that he's gonna probably go earlier. Some people are saying he might go in the um, around pick twenty. I've seen other people saying mm, no, it's gonna be closer mm-hmm. to forty, um, depending on on where he goes. But this is a guy who is just built to be an NFL offensive tackle. Six five, three twenty two, um, very long limbed, very quick feet for his size, um, good strength, power all these things, what he doesn't have is experience and technique. Um, his his overall technique is pretty poor, um, in part because he doesn't have a lot of experience. And so he's the type of guy who was successful in college entirely because of his athletic traits, but give him some coaching, actually teach him how to use his hands properly and to do things better um, and use his, use his natural gifts. And you've got to you got a guy with whose upside is to be one of the best in the NFL. Um, he's going to drop because he's not NFL ready um, to be come in and be a left tackle. Uh, but the Seahawks could bring him in as a right tackle, where he's going to have help beside him in the form of a tight end most snaps, and let him learn for a year or two before moving him to the left tackle side. That would be a great pick for the Seahawks at the end of round one. I think that you've really nailed it. I mean, the way that you set up the the, the draft, where uh, the value uh, spots are, the, the way that the Seattle would think, and the way that he would be used uh, if they did take him, uh, starting out at the right tackle, moving to the left, all of that makes completely perfect sense for Austin Jackson. I love him as a prospect. He was the guy, the main guy at tackle that I uh, wanted to talk about as well, just because... <clears throat> It makes too much sense not to talk about it because the way that the draft falls, you look at all the big boards, you take a look at, and and Keith and I have looked at tons of them, uh, CBS, you know, uh, the the draft network, um, every big board that you can look at and you look at how the draft is, is possibly going to fall. Um, it doesn't line up, especially if we were to stay at 127, it just doesn't line up really well to have some edge rushers there, some, some top quality defensive tackles. Um, a few will be off the board by the time the Seahawks pick. Several will be available, but it would be a reach at that point to take them. The likelihood is that Seattle would drop back, 
pick up additional picks. If they would dropped into the, you know, the, the first half of the, of the second round, then I think it might be more likely that they take a edge defender or a, or a deep penetrating style defensive tackle at those uh, positions. If they stay close to the first pick in the second round or drop back just a couple of picks, Austin Jackson is probably the guy that they're looking at or could be in play. Um, because it just makes most the most sense value wise for the Seahawks, not only uh, because offensive tackle is coveted, but because it makes the most sense in a in a kind of a two year window, like you described, starting out at the right tackle, moving over to the left, where where Dwayne Brown is getting older and would likely be replaced on a on a contract that would be you know in two years from now would be completely replaceable. So mm-hmm. I like the pick. I think it's. You know, if you take a look at the percentages of players that they could pick if they stay close to that, the back end of the first or right at the top of the second, he's got to be up there, like in likelihood of of a guy that they would look at and take. Yeah, and like I said, it, it all comes down to um, kind of the way other teams view him because I've seen uh, predictions of him going, you know, top twenty, and I yeah. can see that just entirely out of. Upside. I mean, this is a guy who could be your franchise left tackle. Um, maybe yeah. not year one, um, where he'll play at that level. Um, not like you're look if you're looking at a guy like uh, um, Jedrick Willis out of uh, Alabama or an Andrew Thomas out of Georgia. I mean, if you want a franchise left tackle on day one, I mean, you're going to go draft one of those guys. But um, after those two. I'd say Austin Jackson probably has the uh, highest likelihood of becoming your franchise left tackle um, out of everyone else in the draft. But you just have to know, you have to be willing to coach him up and wait a little bit for him to learn that technique. And so I could see teams taking him early because of that. Now, at the same time, I could see teams waiting. There's just, there's other needs, there's um, that kind of thing. And if you're like, well, you know, if we're going to, pick a guy and then sit, I don't want to draft that person in the first round, where the Seahawks could pick a guy like that, play him at right tackle, let him learn on the job, and he'd still be an upgrade over what they have. Yeah, I mean, teams are also looking at Josh Jones in that sort of a role as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Ezra Cleveland, I wouldn't look at just because of the length. I don't think he has enough length uh, to fit kind of what the Seahawks look for. Um, you had mentioned Isaiah Wilson earlier. I think he's probably, if we're being completely honest, he's probably more of a right tackle than he, than he is a left tackle prospect. Although you could make the argument that they could, um, I think you could, move they him. could do that. You, you could do could the same him. thing. Yeah. And, and teams have Austin Jackson and Isaiah Wilson, you know, you see them going back and forth on big boards as being, you know, the first guy off the board between those two. We've mm-hmm. talked about Matt Parrott before, the offensive tackle from UConn at six seven three eighteen, with the super super long arms, thirty six and five agents arms. Oh my goodness! But he runs a four oh six forty, so super athletic swing tackle kind of prospect. Um, but playing strength needs, you know, he needs a year. Um, a guy like Luke, uh, Lucas Nyang, uh, the offensive tackle out of TCU, is interesting. Uh, six Five and a half, three twenty-eight, um, athleticism, strength, uh, anchor, right tackle prospect, 
that guy could be the guy at the back end of the second round if he's sitting there and Seattle waits and drafts an edge guy at, at uh, you know with their first pick. Uh, a guy like that could be their pick in the in the second round. So, and Robert Hunt's there, a uh, guy that we've not talked too much about, uh, but he could be kind of an offensive tackle guard prospect, a guy that could come in and and uh, play backup for a little while, um, but but swing around for you and play four different positions. Um, Shadik Charles, the offensive tackle, same sort of thing. He could play guard as well, but has a really nice 40 at uh, 505, 64, 321. Um, but he could play inside too. Uh, there's some prospects there, but I think if they don't pick one with the first pick, I think they wait and they go with a, with a developmental guy in the fourth to fifth round. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's you're looking at, at developmental guys. I mean, there's there's some good ones um, that you could look at. Uh, but personally, me, I would say going and getting a guy um, like the you know the two guys that we've spent the most time on, uh, Jackson and Wilson, um, mm-hmm. and going and getting one of those guys with their first pick um, overall. You know, the, the Seahawks' first pick, whether that be at twenty seven, whether that be at thirty four after a trade down or wherever. Um, to me, that's where the greatest value pocket is for them the greatest impact that that we can see uh and i would love to see them do that it would really help them solidify the offensive line not only for this year but for the next few uh yeah. that would be a that would be a big pickup to me i don't know if the seahawks would agree because they know the pass rush is such a problem but well, I think the you know if you take a look at the offensive line, if you're really honest, now I mean the defensive line, absolutely. We've talked about this before. There is some talent deficit there that they're going to have to address. There's just no question. It's where they address it in the draft. If they allow the draft to just kind of fall to them naturally, as opposed to pressing a little bit, because um, if you take a look at offensive tackle, you've got Brown and Shell. You know, that's that's underwhelming at this point. So. Dwayne Brown's awesome, but he, like you said, he's 35 and he showed some kind of a diminishing return last year, I thought, and, and was kind of hampered a little bit by injury. And then who knows what we're going to really get with shell it lateral move as far as talent with a Fetty, but he gives you a little bit better uh, as far as not being penalized as much. But to me, that's kind of a wash. That's still an upgradable position right there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he he's, he he doesn't get penalized as much. He's a better pass blocker, um, so you don't have to give him help every time you throw mm-hmm. a pass, right? Um, like you did with a Fetty. Uh, but he's not the run blocker. He he doesn't have the ability. Uh, he he'll never have a Fetty's highlight reel of you know just killing people yeah. ten yards. And down his the contract field. isn't huge, Keith. It seems like it's a that contract is says hedge to me yeah it is. Um, it's doesn't a necessarily year, say start one year three million dollar contract it's not a, anything that you can't move on from it really isn't and then you've got jones there jones could theoretically beat out shell at that right tackle spot there's no question that shell given the up op- or jones given the opportunity could possibly swing out there and, and compete for a starting role at right tackle and then i think oh, he's a better guard though i mean yeah, that's just me but i, I agree think, i think he needs to stay inside i agree and then uh agbuahi uh, who we picked up as a as a former first round pick who knows right and then wheeler's still sitting there that's our tackles um yeah, it's really not a great one and then guards wise haynes knox roos simmons fluker i like that group better 
I think Fluker um, and Haynes are your starters right now, unless we pick somebody up in the draft. And then Knox, I thought, actually looked pretty decent in preseason before he had the injury. Roos and Simmons are coming back. Those guys have never been able to 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 perform and, and get to the level of even approaching being a starter. So we'll see how the team feels about those guys. Yeah. So um, one other other name um, since we're, before we like when we're, when we're on tackles um, would be Yasser Durant out of Missouri, which is the third Missouri player that for some reason we've ended up profiling today. Um, entirely, this is a guy six six three thirty one, and if you're looking for the next Effetti, he would be that person, and you could get him in the fifth round. Um, or maybe the sixth round rather than a first round pick. Mm-hmm. But he's a guy who is just huge. Um, actually does a better job in pass protection than a Fetty did, but um, has kind of the, that heavy feet. Um, so he's going to get beat by counter moves and stuff, but is also a very good run blocker and can get downfield. So I think that it that's a type of player that I think the CX would look at. The fact that you can get him in the fifth round to be kind of that backup. Um, yeah maybe potential starting right tackle after their early round pick moves to left tackle in a year. Um, it could, you know, that depending on the way the draft falls, you could get two right tackles in this draft. It wouldn't yeah, shock me. Cause you could go get, uh, let, let's, you know, if the draft falls, right. And let's say that the Seahawks grab Austin Jackson at the beginning of round two, and then you go get a guy like Durant, um, you know, in round six. Uh, and so then yeah. you, ha- you basically have two right tackles. And so, yeah. um, uh, and then a year from now, uh, they move Jackson over to the left side and let him install him as the left tackle. And Durant just gets promoted up into the starting right tackle spot. And you have both guys, um, from the same draft class. I mean, and you'd end up with actually a pretty good duo of, of players. Yeah. I, I mean, Robert Hunt, Shadik Charles, Yasser Durant, those sorts of players could be your second tackle off the board. There's just no question. Even if you draft Austin Jackson, depending on how the the draft unfolds with defensive players, we'd you know we're not talking about defensive guys today, but boy, is that still the biggest need on the team? The, the mm-hmm. clear answer is, is yes, absolutely. Um, guards, Keith, um, or guard center prospects, uh, however you want to work this. Uh, what do you got? Well. Um, if we, if you're going to, if we're going to combine the two, which we probably should, because anyone coming in to Seattle is going to need to play both because that's kind of the way they, they run things. Um, the best player available on, uh, at the, at the interior line and is someone who would, who is mostly getting projected in, you know, late, late round two area, um, is Cesar Ruiz out of Michigan center, um, He's, like I said, he's the best center on the on the draft, or in the draft, um, and he just kind of does everything well. Um, center is not a position that's usually valued high on draft day, and that's why he he looks at being a guy that's going to drop into you know late round two, early round three. But uh, really, just not a lot of weaknesses. Just a guy you can can um, depend on. Um, Who was and, that uh, center we we traded to New Orleans? For? In the Jimmy Graham trade, guy from Oregon. Yeah, um, he reminds me of that guy, a guy that's you know not terribly 
oversized or long. He's six two and a half, three nineteen in Ruiz, um, mm-hmm. but he's extremely quick. Wins early with his quickness, um, and he's smart and intelligent. And he's that leader guy. And the same thing with the with the guy that we traded. I can't <laughs> for the life of me. I've totally lost it. You know um, the pro bowler who helped the pro us bowl the super guy. bowler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, I don't know. I had me, clearly did not have enough coffee this morning because I couldn't remember J.D. McKissick earlier. And um, yeah, my brain is broken. I'm gonna, um, I'm so we'll, it up right now. <laughs> while you're looking up him, um, I'm going to bring up another guy Max while Unger. we're at it. There we go. Um, yeah, he another, reminds me of Max Unger. Yeah. Um, I was say, if I bring up another guy who is similar in a lot of ways um, to Ruiz, doesn't get talked about as much, um, is uh, Lloyd uh, Cushenberry out of LSU. Um, another guy that can go kind of in that same uh, same le- level um, as far as the draft, like, you know, round mm-hmm. two, round three, but just does a little of everything well um, as a... Um, you know, as a center and just has that experience and has that ability to do uh, what the Seahawks would need and to jettison that ugly Justin Britt contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, Keith, because I the first time I really watched him, I'll be completely honest, is at the combine. And I didn't like the way that he moved. I didn't like the way that his body looked. Um, I'm talking about Cushenberry. And I was like, I, I can't even with this guy. Um, so I didn't, I, I really haven't looked at him, but I, I, everyone still mentions him as kind of a mid round prospect as at center. That would be a viable situation. I've always discounted it because I just didn't like the way he looked at the combine. And, um, so his film must be, must be really pretty decent for, for that is. prospect to, to still be viable. Yeah. His, um, his, his film is, is good. Um, he's a, guy that comes in as a starter. Um, like I said, he's not as polished and as um, Ruiz, but the talent's obviously there. I mean, right. his tape's it's pretty clear. So I would, uh, I would be okay with him. I think you can get him, you know, 10 picks after Ruiz. Interesting. Yeah, you know, I, the other guy that I was looking at that would be early um, would be the Tyler um, Baez. Out of Wisconsin, I love Wisconsin linemen. They're just gritty, nasty guys. Um, mm-hmm. at, but he's a little undersized at six one and a half. But he's three twenty one, um, so he's not going to get bulldozed like uh, Hunt is. So to me, that would be a viable guy to compete um, at our uh, center spot right now with Finney. Uh, I'm assuming Britt's gone. Yeah, and Finney's the, the the likely starter, so it would be interesting to bring a guy to come in to compete a a for the the starter role because Finney does have the ability to move around. Uh, well, Finney, Finney does, does not need to, to end up being. Most centers have the ability to play guard too. They just yeah. they're athletic enough to do to play center, and so you stick them at center because it's it's um it's actually the more difficult position to play. And I think if you have, if you draft a guy, let's say the CX were to go and and draft a guy like Ruiz, I would put him at guard next to Finney, at least Mm -hmm. at the beginning of, you know, training camp and the preseason, because he's going to learn a lot from playing next to a guy, a pro bowler. Um, 
and you know, an experienced guy. Because there's a lot of uh, you know the communication that has to happen, the pre-snap reads that have to happen. I just um, wouldn't discount Haynes so early in the process. I think that I'm, Haynes I'm, has got that year of experience. I'm not trying to discount Haynes at all. I'm just saying if you were to go draft a player really high, yes, um, you, that means you want to gift them some experience and getting uh, a center experience at guard for uh, a year next to a guy that's you know, a good, a really good player like Fenny, um, I think would be a, would be great for their development. I still, I would say, I think Hayes has the inside track to be the starter at left guard. Uh, it's going to be him and Jones, I believe competing for that starting job. I would give it to Hayes, um, right now. Um, if I was, you know, taking bets, um, Jones has a little bit more experience, but you know, he's not as athletic. Yeah. Upside. Powerful. I would I would say Hayes has probably got it. Uh, where Jones is gonna his a lot of his value comes from his versatility and his ability to play four different positions. Um, and so having him be there as a backup, I think is it would be great for the team um, at four different positions. Uh, and so I think that that's how he makes the roster. To me, it might be it might be the other side. It might be right guard where you yeah. play um, one of your. If you were to go and get a uh, a center uh, in the draft, and you could stick him at right guard, and I know that Fluker's there, but is Fluker going to be healthy? How much can you depend on him? Uh, I I think you could get your. I think Fluker uh, played in ten games last year. Yeah, so um, I think you could get your 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 backup center, the guy that you're developing into your eventual starter at center, uh, playing time next you know, at guard, uh, on that fluker side. Interesting. Wow. Well, we've talked about a lot of prospects today. You got any, anybody else you want to throw into the mix at all? Um, you know what? I think that let's call it good because I could probably sit here and talk about offensive linemen for like another hour and <laughs> no one is going to listen to me talk to about offensive linemen for another hour. So let's call it a show. I, I, and I like um, the, I like the way that you brought in a whole bunch of guys that we haven't talked about already. I appreciate that. Um, that just gives us more to, more to talk about. I know I kind of probably doubled up on a, on a few guys um, just because it just seems like just we've just been talking about everybody at this point in the in the process. We have a week and a half to go. I think what the ten days left until mm-hmm. Seattle picks on Thursday or trades back. Um, for our next show, I think we're doing uh, a mock draft again. Uh, this time we're going to come in and it's going to be, uh, we're going to come in with two separate mocks prepared so that we can discuss uh, our players um, in this next show. And then next week we're going to do a, uh, what Keith has, has called a crazy random show. <laughs> Uh, and maybe that's the next one. Maybe the, maybe that's the next show, and maybe the the mock is on Monday um, of next week. I can't remember which order we're, we were. That's in. what I was describing in my notes. Um, no, we're yeah the um, the next show is going to be a random scenario. So it's going to be like, what would happen if? And so then the the goal here is for Bill and I to each come up with some different what ifs um, that things that we just aren't expecting, like. Um, how does the draft fall if the Seahawks draft a first round running back again? What or, if what if they trade up? Yeah, That's, or that would be what cool. hap- what happens if they make 
they pull a blockbuster deal and they go and get Yannick um, to be their their pass rusher uh, on uh, on the weak side, and um, you know uh, just things like that. So it's worth um, just. I don't know. It'll be fun. It gives us a chance to up. bullshit for an hour. Is yeah. What, what we're like trying said, to say. We're, we're going to, we're going to, we'll be making stuff up. It'll be hilarious. Um, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, then we'll not? make stuff up again the next show when we do the mock draft and that'll be, is, that'll be fun. Yeah. Cause that's what we do. That's what we do best here when yeah. we just make stuff. And up. then we'll go even further. And on draft day, we're going to record a show in the morning. Um, on the Thursday of the draft day, and we'll do a question and answer show. So hopefully we'll get a lot of uh, really great questions submitted via Twitter um, that will help us uh, out with that show. That should be really fun, setting that thing up uh, before the draft. We'll have, and we'll have the draft. We'll come back the, the following Monday, and we'll record our uh, draft recap show. So we've kind of got it all planned out for the next uh, four or five shows, which is good. We normally only go about a show in advance. So <laughs> this is pretty good for us at, at this time of the year. Uh, any final words, Keith? And we'll head out and then we'll come back and we'll do that, uh, the, the random show next uh, the, at the end of the week. Um, my only final words are going to be, um, I know the weather is turning nice and all of that, but please continue to do uh what needs to be done to keep us all healthy and safe, stay home, stay inside, social distance to the best of your ability. And, um, you know, let's just every week that we can, uh, make this work, uh, the more lives we save. So please keep it up. Yeah. And it does seem to be working, you know, as hard as it is economically. And I know a lot of people are suffering out there and, and, um, but hopefully we can get this thing turned around if we, uh, if we do, all that we're supposed to do and, and need to do. Um, maybe we can gradually kind of open this thing up and see how it goes and, uh, and, and try to put this thing behind us at some point, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, okay. So follow Keith on Twitter at Myers NFL. I'm at NW Seahawk. The show is at Hawks playbook. Seahawksplaybook.com is your source for all of our archive shows and find us on your favorite podcast app. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a show. So until next time, Keith, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Hawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Podcasts or listen at our website, hawksplaybook.com. Follow us on Twitter. Phil is at NWC Hawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. See you next week and go Hawks.